preach to you. I um, would not have imagined that when this church started, that this is how it would be. But that's how God saw fit, that's how God led. <clears throat> you know, we could have probably kept on going in that Sunday school lesson. I um, wondered if maybe we were going to just, if you were just going to take my notes and just go with those. There was a question asked in Sunday school, and this is what it was, I believe. I quick wrote it down. How often is repentance and remission of sins preached? And I wonder how often we preach it sometimes in our churches, and how many times do we share just the simple gospel? You know, we so easily make it complicated, do we not? We add a whole bunch of things to it, and we try to explain it, and the more we explain, the more complicated it becomes. <clears throat> a little note on repentance. We talked about a little bit in Sunday school, and we may get to it a little later, too, or talk about it a little bit. But repentance is when I am going this way, and I am going down through life, and this is the road I'm on. Now remember, Paul was doing the same thing. He was walking on the road to Damascus, serving who? Himself. And as he was walking, suddenly there was a light that shone down. And he fell to the ground. And he said, Lord. And from that moment on, he turned around and went the other way. That's repentance. He never again went down that road. But his life was changed forever. Earlier this week, I had been thinking of another message that I might preach this morning. And one morning, I was just heavy with something on my mind and I sent a message to my wife and she sent a message back to me of a song and we're going to look at that song later and that changed the message for this week it was something that I needed for myself that day this morning I would like to preach a message on the blood of Christ the importance of it it's a simple message so if you were thinking, I'm going to come and preach some deep message, theological message to you this morning, you may have to go someplace else because it's, I, I'm a simple man, okay? <clears throat> I hope this morning to bring this message to you and those of you who have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you would today know what you need to do. And those of you who have accepted him, that it would bring assurance to you again. <clears throat> when you think of blood, what does it mean to you, blood? 
What does the blood of Christ mean to you? <clears throat> it's a simple message, it's, but it's very profound because, like I said earlier, so many times we are adding so many other things to this message of the gospel and we lose sight of just the simplicity of it. <clears throat> the Bible says that without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. In other words, there was some things in the blood where, or in the, in the Old Testament in the law where they did not shed blood. But sin has to be taken care of by blood. That is the only way. Now, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> and we're going to go back into the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the first time. Well, this isn't the first time. We may a little later look at in Genesis, but this is... This is God coming to Moses, and he's telling him what needs to be done. And we're going to read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 14, and then jump to 28, 21 to 28. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make, you count, make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And it shall... And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pert pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Ye shall keep it a feast to the, gener to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through, the, through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side 
posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you according to as he hath promised that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you what mean you by this service. That ye shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. When he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed and the head and worshiped and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron so did they <clears throat> now I would like to have you imagine with me what this must have been like here are the children of Israel they were coming and they knew that they had seen nine other plagues come down through Egypt the first few had actually affected them and towards the end, there was the last ones that were not affecting them, okay? There was a distinction made between the land of Goshen where the, the Israelites were and the Egyptians. But here, the Lord comes to Moses and he says, I'm bringing one more plague, okay? This one is going to be, this isn't what God said, but this one, in, in my words, is going to be probably the, is going to be the worst one. And imagine with me, I'm, I'm the oldest, I'm the firstborn. Imagine with me if you would have been there. And I put myself in the shoes of a little boy. And he knows the command went out. That if there is not blood on the two side posts and on the door, on the, above the door, you, I will die. That's what it was. Imagine if you're a father this morning and you have your firstborn and this command comes down. If the blood is not applied, I'm going to visit that house. The angel of death is going to visit that house, is going to take that firstborn and destroy him. There is a way of deliverance, though. Make sure the blood's applied. Now imagine if you're the little boy and you're inside the house and you watch dad go out there and you watched him put the blood on. You went back inside. An hour or two went by and all of a sudden you had some doubt in your mind. What if the blood's not there anymore? What if it washed off? What if it disappeared? And you go back out and you look. But you know, they had to be in the house when midnight came. Maybe you went to dad. It's 11.30. You went to your father and you said, Father, are you sure the blood's still there? You know, it's dark outside. Can't see. Father, are you sure it's still there? Did you put it there, Father? Yes, son. It's there. Yes, son. The blood is applied. And you rest. You know, they couldn't use anything else. They couldn't say, oh, we don't want to kill the little lamb. 
we'll just use some paint, some red paint. Would it have done it? No. Oh, you know, we don't want to, we don't have any paint, but we have some red cloth here. We'll cut some strips and nail them to the side there, side and over the top. It wasn't going to do it. Notice in verse 11 that it is, it, the last phrase, it says, it is the Lord's Passover. This wasn't the children of Israel dreaming something up. This is what God told them to do. And then they were supposed to, every year after this, remember this. And that's what we just came through um, here in the last few weeks as we commemorate a communion. Now I would like for you to go with me in your imagination 2,000 years from this time or almost 2,000 years, to another time in the land of Israel. This is now in the land of Israel. They are now in the land of Israel. And there is a man. He came as a baby. And now he has grown up. And he walked and he taught. We have a lot of his teachings right here. And now he's at the end of his ministry. You know, the lamb that the children of Israel had to use had to be a perfect lamb. It had to be a young lamb. No blemish in it. <clears throat> there was a lamb born. He was not very old. Some of you sitting here are the age he was when he died. He was without blemish. The chief priests didn't want him. They wanted to get rid of him. They said, let's get rid of this man because we think he's going to destroy what we're trying to do. So let's just get him out of the way. As we saw in our Sunday school lesson, some of the, um, some of the disciples thought maybe he was now going to come and he was going to deliver them from the bondage they were in with the Romans. But here Jesus, that perfect lamb, comes before the trial there. He had never done any sin. You know, in John 1, 29, it says that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming one time, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, the latter part says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. <clears throat> and there he is, the sinless Lamb of God, before these wicked men. And as he stands there, never having committed any sin... And they're accusing him of things he never did. And then they take him and Pilate whips him and scourges him. I didn't study into this. I had it one time. But these whips they used, it didn't take long until there was flesh. And by the time they were done, it was down to the bones. I don't know what, what it looked like. 
But that was your Jesus and my Jesus this morning who went through that. For you and me, Then they took him out and they nailed him to that cross. You know, you and I this morning had no hope in this world. And if it wouldn't have been for this perfect lamb, Jesus, to have died on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood, there would be no hope for you and me this morning. What are we doing about this that Jesus did? As he laid, as he was on that cross, and all of a sudden the sins of the whole world were upon his shoulders. And he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he yielded up the ghost and he died. Even that centurion that was there said, Surely this was some great man. In Leviticus 17, I found some interesting verses yesterday. I would first of all like for us to look at the blood as life. Leviticus 17, verses 10 and 11 read this way, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So God is telling the children of Israel, you can't eat the blood. Now, I'm not sure how all of you like your steaks, but my steak is usually a little pink, okay? So I, I don't think that's what this is talking about. But the interesting thing that I would like to get out of this is... For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Notice that. This is Leviticus. This is the Old Testament. This is back when the law was being given. I have given the blood upon the altar. The, the altar, when they sacrificed there, the blood was to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul, the latter part of the verse says. <clears throat> I just found this so interesting that the life is in the blood. And as I was studying yesterday, <clears throat> some of the commentators said it took from the time this was written until some men actually came to the realization that the life is in the blood. Even though this was written in the Bible so many years ago, it took about 3,600 years until there was a scientist or a doctor, someone who discovered that there is life in the blood. That is where the life is. Adam Clark has this to say about this verse here, verse uh, Leviticus 17, 11. And it is well worthy of being remarked that Christ not only died for sinners, but our redemption is everywhere attributed to his blood and the shedding of that blood, and that on the altar of the cross, this might make an atonement for the lives and souls of men. He not only bowed his head and gave up the ghost, but his side was open. The pericardium and the heart evidently pierced. 
that the vital fluid might be poured out from the very seat of life, and that thus the blood, which is the life, should be poured out to make an atonement for the life of the soul. Did you catch that? When they came along, because they, they wanted to make sure these men were dead on the cross, so they came along and they come to Jesus and he's already dead. So they didn't break his legs because that's usually what they did when someone was hanging on the cross. They broke the legs because once, once the legs were broken, you couldn't push yourself up anymore to take another breath. They didn't do that to Jesus. But they took a, they took a spear and they thrust it up through his side. And according to what Adam Clark here is saying is that it seems, and, and forthwith it says in the Bible, came blood and water. So it seems like perhaps that spear went right up and into the heart of Jesus. And the blood came flowing out. It was just an interesting thought to me as I looked at that yesterday. The shed blood of Christ. <clears throat> I would like to now look at what the blood can do for us, and I'm going to be reading quite a few scriptures here. You don't need to turn to all of them. But in Matthew 26, 27, and this is when Jesus was there in the upper room, he said, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I would like for you to notice in that phrase there in verse 28 where it says, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know, Christ shed his blood for the whole world. But here he doesn't say that it's shed for all, it's shed for many. And this has the idea that it's only those who come and who, as we sang this morning, who truly believe. Those are the ones. So many will be saved. Yes, the blood is there for whosoever will. But we all know that not all are going to accept that blood in their lives. So it says here, many, for the remission, uh, for many who believe on that blood. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're not going to read verses 7 to 12. We'll just skim down over it here. Verse 7 is the one that I would like to read. I believe I have it all down here because this is all one sentence from 7 through 12, but we'll just read verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Here it has the idea of redemption. And this idea of redemption is the purchase of God's favor by the death and sufferings of Christ, the ransom or deliverance of sinners from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated law by the atonement of Christ. So in other words, we are bought back through his blood. Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 14. And Hebrews, if you, if you read yesterday, I read Hebrews 9 and 10, and they are just rich chapters on this whole thing of the Old Testament and the shedding of blood that they did in the Old Testament with all the, the heifers and the goats and the 
all the animals, and then bringing it over to what Christ has done for us. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It's amazing as I read these verses. He did it only once. You know, the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies once a year to atone, to make atonement for the, for the um, Israelites. Christ came one time. He's not coming back again. The next time he comes back, if the blood is not applied, the next time he comes back, you and I, if we have not applied the blood to our hearts, we will be cast into eternal damnation forever. Because he's not coming back again. He hasn't been coming back year after year and dying again. He did it once. <clears throat> you know, if a heifer, if the, if the ashes of a heifer could purify some of the could purify the most awful thing in the flesh, how much more can the blood of Christ, the inward sins of the ugliest form, cleanse it, take it away, wash it away forever? 1 John 1 but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is talking to us as believers. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, it cleanses us from all sin. And if we sin, just the next chapter, we have a way out. If we sin this morning, <coughs> excuse me, as a child of God, we do have a way to come back again. And once again go and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I failed, I need your blood. So does this mean that since the blood is there, that now I can just go and live life the way I want to? You know, when the blood was applied to the, to the top of the door and to the side posts, they didn't just do what they wanted to, they didn't run in and out and go do their thing, no, they were there they made sure it was applied, and they were inside their houses waiting for midnight to come. So, since Christ shed his blood, and we know the blood is there, do we now just think that, oh, well, you know, we go through life, and well, I, I failed again, so Lord, forgive me for the blood, and, or forgive me again, and cleanse me with your precious blood, and do we, do we make light of it? 
I would like for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And this is not necessarily just the idea of, I guess what I was trying to, to convey to you just now is that let's not just presume that, well, we can now live life the way we want to and the blood will be there. It's applied. It was applied once. We really don't need to worry about anything. No. It should be changing our lives and making us want to go all the way with Christ. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 29. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to read Hebrews 6, three verses there. For it is, and then we're going to go to, right to Hebrews 10. So just stay there in Hebrews 10. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of, underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Now what I believe these two passages are talking about is that they're talking about apostasy. They're not necessarily talking about a backslider, somebody who fell into sin and he came to the understanding, maybe through some other, some other Christian came to him and said, you know what you're doing is sin, and his eyes were awakened and he said, oh, you're right. And he comes back to Christ. This is someone who has said, you know what Jesus did on the cross, and it can be someone who was born again, okay? But they are saying... What he did on the cross, I really don't think that needs to apply to us anymore. We really don't need it. This thing about the blood, I mean, after all, this is pretty gory. This is, this is ugly, thing, ugly stuff to talk about. We don't really need to do this. We don't need to trust in the blood. And they count it as nothing. And they throw it under, and they just walk over it, and they turn away from God. Harold Martin has this to say about Hebrews 6. Apostasy is a gradual process. It does not take place with suddenness. It is marked by a diminished devotion that begins with unbelief and progresses to disobedience and a deliberate turning away from the Lord. So I guess what I'm trying to, what I want to share with you is that don't all of a sudden get afraid this morning that, oh, I, I fell into sin. Now what's happening? Oh, you know, I was tempted. And when I was tempted, as James says, I was drawn away of my own lust, and then I was enticed, and then I sinned. So I, I guess I did it willfully. Now what do I do? Is the blood not going to work for me anymore? No. This is talking about someone who is saying he decided in his heart he had that thing of repentance like I shared earlier, and he turned and he was going this way, and all of a sudden he said, you know what, I don't think this thing of Jesus and this thing of the gospel and this whole idea of Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood is necessary. We don't need to do that. And he deliberately turns around and starts walking the other way. What, Hebrews, what the Hebrew writer is saying is that for such a one, he is in a grave, grave place. He is in a place that I, this morning, do not want to be at. And 
find myself ever there. <clears throat> for an ordinary, this is Harold Martin had this also to say, for an ordinary backslider, repentance and restoration is a possibility. <clears throat> but when a person chooses a constant attitude of hostility toward Jesus Christ, repentance is impossible. But as long as individuals feel that they need to repent and they want to repent, they have not gone too far. So this morning, rest assured that if your heart is still wanting to go after Jesus and what he has done on the cross of Calvary, and you have fallen into sin, because listen, there is times when we all do, okay? You can come back to him, and he will accept you. So we looked at all of this. Where are you, and at, are you and I at? What are we trusting in for our salvation? And this is, I guess, where, where I was struck earlier this week, something I have been struggling with, and, and I just, you know, you may be struggling with something, and you're going through life, and maybe it was in your old life, some of the things, the sins that you were in, and you're going through life, and you're saying... I came to Christ and I asked Him to forgive me and to wash me in His blood. And then all of a sudden some thought comes to your mind of something that you had done. And you say, oh, but Lord, was the blood applied? And you start struggling. Revelations, we're not going to go there, but there is an accuser of, our, of, of us who wants to accuse us, and that is him coming when he comes and he says, well, are you sure the blood's applied? Are you sure you did it right? Are you sure you're trusting in that? Are you sure that you're trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Ah, uh, you, that thing you did back there, I don't, I'm just not sure that you can be forgiven of that. Turn to Revelations chapter 7. We're going to just read a few verses here. I would love to read Revelations 9 through 17, but we're not going to for the sake of time. <clears throat> this clock here, they always are, they go a little too fast for me, I guess. In Revelations 7, verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. So John is looking. And, and he saw these, the first part of this here chapter is talking about the 144,000, but then he beheld something else. And this is what he beheld. He saw a great number of people which no man could number, of every kindred, of every tribe, of every people that stood before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in what? White robes and with palms in their hands, and they were crying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And then notice, down in verse 13, one of the elders comes and he says, What are these? And whence came they? 
And John answers this, and he said, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So this morning, if you are doubting, if you are struggling with assurance this morning, whether you did it right, whether the blood is applied to maybe that sin that you committed back there, or maybe it's something even since you were a Christian, rest assured that it is only through the blood. So put your trust in that, in Jesus Christ and in the shed blood, what he did on the cross of Calvary, and you, my friend, will be one of those in that great crowd before the throne. But what are we doing so many times with the blood and with this whole plan of salvation? You know, we add things. We think that we, we come across something just like I was sharing and we're, we're oh, I'm struggling. I, I just don't know if that sins of, if that's forgiven. Well, you know what? I, I got to do something about it. So by our own selves, we try to do something. We try to look right. We may try to... Make sure we do everything right. Oh, well, maybe it's just if I would just go to church every, every time there's church. You know what? I don't care what you do because the Bible tells me in Isaiah that it, all our good works are as filthy rags. There is nothing you and I can do. So going to church is not going to save you. Doing everything right is not going to save you. Singing all the right songs and all of those things, that's not what's going to save us. Those things are all good and right. Those are things that come along with, with us when we come to Christ in repentance and we turn from our sins. Then those things come in and we have a desire to be with the people of God. We have a desire to, to do different than what we were doing. But we cannot, in and of ourselves, do anything to save us. <clears throat> I was thinking of this and my grandpa, he, is, he died here... I guess a little over a year ago. A godly man, a man that I would look up to. I looked up to him. I would like to pattern my life after him. He was, no, he was not a perfect man. He came to Christ when he was older. He was an outspoken man. But on his deathbed, and up until he died, he could still... Somewhat his mind was still there. I believe I have a video that one of my aunts shared or took. When he was sitting, I, still, I can still see it. He was sitting on his recliner, 83 years old, having served Christ for 50-some years. <coughs> and as he's sitting there, Grandma's sitting beside him, and he says, what about this? What if I didn't do it? What if I'm not forgiven? This is a man who walked with God. I would have thought him struggling with this. Oh, I can see myself maybe struggling with it, but him? What if, what if that thing back there that I did, what if it's not taken care of? You know what grandma said? 
taken care of. You don't have to worry about it. You know, this morning, there's coming a time when we're all going to die, as the young man did last week. Unless Jesus comes before and we are taken up in the clouds. We're all going to die. And we're going to come before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to cut it. To say, oh, but Lord, I visited you in prison. I visited these people in prison. And I gave a drink of water here. And I did this. And I did all of these things. That's not going to do it. Oh, those things are good to do. Don't get me wrong. When I come and stand before Jesus, or before God, the ultimate judge, the judge who's going to judge us, he's going to look at me. I don't know how it is. I'm using my imagination again. He's going to look at me and he's going to say, you are condemned. You know what? He's right. But Jesus... going to be sitting beside him. And I just imagine Jesus saying, oh, but Father, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is one who applied the blood. This is one of my children. This is one who is written on my hands. Isn't that a comfort to you this morning? Doesn't that excite you this morning? There's another thing that I would like to look at, and we alluded to it a little bit. But there's also power in this blood. And I shared a little bit about it. But when the accuser of the brethren comes, in Revelation chapter 12, Verse 11, it says this, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies, and they loved not their lives unto the death. This is when the accuser of the brethren, he's coming and John is seeing it. And you know how we're going to overcome him? Overcome Satan? It is, they overcame him by the word of the, by the blood of the Lamb. Notice, that is the first thing. And by the word of their testimony. So there is power in this blood. Power to overcome the enemy. The one who wants to come with all these accusations to you this morning. So this morning, where are you and I at as we think of what Christ has done for us? As we think of the precious shed blood of Christ and what he has done, what are we doing with it this morning? Are we accepting it with joy and are we allowing it to change our lives or are we saying, well, I'm just not sure that this is actually what we need? You know in your heart, maybe this morning you're sitting here and you have never accepted, the, accepted Christ. You have never applied the blood. This morning I beg of you, do it today. Because you may go out on this road when you leave from here, and you may be killed right out here. And I'm sorry, once you are gone, if the blood has not been applied to the doorposts and to, and to the top of the door of your heart, you, my friend, will never have another chance. 
The blood is still there. This is a song that I would like to read in closing. One dark night in Egypt, a fearful time had come for one little Hebrew boy, who was his father's firstborn son. With the angel of death passing low, it was hard to fall asleep, but one little lamb stood in his mind as he lay there counting sheep. He thought of why the, the young lamb had to die, why his blood was on the door. Through the wind and rain, it had still remained, but he wanted to be sure, so he called out to his earthly father with a trembling voice so scared, crying, Father, will you please look and see if the blood is still there? The chorus, he said, Son, now don't you worry, for the blood is there to stay. The wind may blow and the rain may fall, but it won't just wash away. The blood will stand the raging storm. It, it's been applied with loving care. Safe, secure, you can rest assured that the blood is still there. Now verse 3 says this, looking, all, looking over all the damage, Satan's storm will leave you behind. The flood of endless questions, sometimes doubt had filled my mind. The fear that gripped my troubled soul brought me back to my knees in prayer, crying, Father, will you please look and see if the blood is still there? And the Heavenly Father is saying, Jesus is saying, He said, Son, now don't you worry, for the blood is there to stay. The wind may blow and the rain may fall, but it won't just wash away. The blood will stand the raging storm. It's been applied with loving care. Safe, secure, you can rest assured that the blood is still there. <clears throat> this morning, rest assured that if the blood has been applied to your heart, you are a child of the King. Go on and serve him joyfully. Don't give up. Don't allow the accusations of the enemy to come in. When they do, continue on. And when you fall, when you fall down in sin, you're going to get up again and you're going to finish the race that is set before you. Do not give up. And this morning... Please make this be the day of salvation for you if you have never accepted what Christ has done for you. Shall we bow our heads for prayer?